Our reading is taken from Malachi 3, 6 to 12. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Dan's now going to come up and um, share in the Lord's word with us, but let me pray for him as he does that. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to hear from your word this evening. Lord, I thank you for the preparation that you've been um, working with Dan this last week. We ask that you would speak boldly and clearly through him so that we can learn more and discern your word um, through how he's going to share with us this evening. May our hearts and minds be prepared for all that you want us to hear. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Emily. Well, a warm welcome to you watching at home. Good evening to you. So great that you can be tuning in this evening. Uh, And thank you, Emily, for reading out our passage from Malachi. We're continuing in our series tonight. So do keep your Bibles open in front of you as we go through this passage together. I want to start with a question, and that is, what does it mean to step out in faith? It's a phrase that I'm sure many of us are familiar with, and it can be used especially quite frequently in Christian circles. And in one sense, we hear that phrase, and I don't know about you, but I certainly, when I hear that phrase, stepping out in faith, it seems a bit on the surface, a bit hope for the best. You know, have your fingers crossed. Uh, You know, we just hope things turn out all right. It doesn't sound very substantial, does it? And yet when the Bible talks about faith, faith is always defined as being confident. Confident despite even uncertainty in our circumstances. Confidence that's not based in our circumstances. Confidence that's not based in our situations, but a confidence that is based in our God. Uh, Romans, we're in Romans this morning, but Romans 4 Chapter 20, verses 20 uh, 20 to 21, Paul describes Abraham's faith like this. He says, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded 
that God had the power to do what he had promised. Biblical faith is confidence. It's being fully persuaded in who God is and what he will do. And yet it might be this evening, especially at this moment in time that we're living in, where, to not put it lightly, our whole world has changed. It might be that things that once we once put our confidence in, confidence in, things we once thought were certain, like seeing our friends, like even sitting our exams in May and June, like seeing our relatives, like going abroad, like our jobs that we never thought would be in jeopardy, like profit in our businesses that we never thought would dip. All of these certainties that maybe we never thought would fall have been brought into question at the moment. And it might lead us at the moment not just to reevaluate our confidence in our government, in our social lives, in our resources, in our jobs, but maybe it's also prompting us to reevaluate our confidence in God. Can we really be confident in who God is, in what God can do, in what he's promised to us? Well, tonight in Malachi, we are going to see that God is reaching out to his people, a people who aren't very confident in who he is, a people who have turned away. And God is calling them back to himself, calling them back to a relationship with him that is based, we're going to see, on faith, a confidence, not only in who their God is, but in also what God has promised to them in his words. Well, we've seen so far in Malachi, haven't we, so far, that God has been exposing how far his people have turned from him. And you might have noticed as we've gone through Malachi that this theme of covenant keeps coming up time and time again. Uh, We get this theme in chapter one of these sacrifices being offered. And then further on in the early parts of chapter two, we get these priests who are leading people astray. And then we get this theme of marriage, which is a covenant and how people have been unfaithful in their marriages. All of these ideas point us to the idea of covenant. That's what it points us to. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 5, if you look with me in 2, verse 8, God exposes very explicitly that they have broken this covenant. It says the covenant of Levi. It's important to note that in order to understand our passage this evening, in order to understand Malachi, and I'll even say as far as to understand the Old Testament, and our Bibles, the story that's being told, we need to understand and get our heads around this idea of covenant that is foundational to the Bible story. And we might be asking this evening, well, what on earth is a covenant? Well, in short, a covenant is an agreement. It's an agreement between two parties. And usually this agreement that's made it comes with conditions that each group or each person pledges to one another uh, to live and abide by. A good example of this is is the marriage. You know, we say a marriage covenant. A husband and wife 
and make a covenant with each other. They agree and they promise to one another to live and abide by the conditions of marriage, that they are going to forsake all others, that they're going to live with each other in sickness and in health for richer, for poorer, till death do them part. And yet in ancient times, when the Old Testament was being written, covenants were very commonplace and they were made between lots of different ancient nations. Uh, Usually it would take the form of a big nation, a superpower, making a covenant with a smaller nation. Uh, A technical term, you could say a suzerain and a vassal state. They would make a covenant with each other and they wouldn't be a party of equals uh, like marriage and husband and wife. There would be a big power and a small power. And they would enter into a covenant and they would be promising certain things that they would do for each other if they agree by this covenant. But alongside that, there would also be these long lists of conditions and penalties that would come on the state if they broke the terms of their agreement. Normally, it would be the suzerain state, the big state, laying out the penalties it would enforce on the vassal state. And God enters into a covenant like this with his people. We see it most clearly, I think, in the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy 28 lays out the clearest explanation of this covenant, this agreement that God makes with his people. And if you keep a finger in Malachi, and if you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28, I think this is going to be a real help for us to see tonight, not only for our passage, but I think any time that we open our Old Testament, um, Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, you'll see there chapter 28 verse 1, it says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And if you look with me, if you've got that chapter open in front of you, if you look down, you'll see then all of the other blessings that God promises to bring to Israel. If they fully obey Uh, crops, you'll see a victory over their enemies. Uh, They will be lending to other nations and not borrowing from other nations. And then you'll see, particularly, look with me at verse 12 of Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is important. It says, the Lord will then open up the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless the work of your hands. That verse might seem familiar with that reading that we had read out to us. But despite these promises... These blessings that will come if the people fully obey the Lord. We see next in Deuteronomy 28 the implications if the agreement is broken. Look with me at verse 15. It says, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And if you follow on from that, you'll begin to see this list of horrifying curses that God lays out. Instead of crops yielding fruit, verse 38, 
locusts will come and devour it. Instead of being able to enjoy the fruit of vineyards as they're planted, they won't produce any fruit. It's a terrifying, it's a horrifying list that's presented, but these are the conditions of the covenant that the people of Israel live under in the Old Testament. And the story as we go through the Old Testament is one where we see times, yes, where the people are obedient and they live under this blessing and God pours out his blessing to the people of Israel. But time and time again, almost in the majority of the time of the Old Testament, we see the people break the commandment, break the covenant. And that is the passage, that is the story, that is the situation that we're in in Malachi chapter 3. If you look with me at verse 9, back in Malachi, if you flick back, it says, you are under a curse, your whole nation. They're under a curse because they're breaking the covenant. So what Deuteronomy 28 says. And yet, despite this evening, as we see and we'll read of the people's complete unfaithfulness towards God, like a night sky, the stars stand out. And in the midst of the unfaithfulness of the people, God's faithfulness shines bright in our passage this evening as we go through. And our first point as we go through, we've got two points shortly that will explain our passage. First one is God is gracious. God is gracious from verse 6 to 7. You see, right at the start of our passage, God reminds his people that whilst they have been unfaithful, God remains faithful. Look with me at verse 6. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestor, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. I remain faithful, God says. I haven't changed. I don't change. I've even spared you because I've been faithful to my promises that I've made ages ago. But God says, I've been faithful. But he says, you haven't. God's people have turned away from his decrees That language is very similar to what we saw in Deuteronomy 28. And yet, despite all of this, God opens a door, a way for his people to return to him. He says, return to me and I will return to you. Do we see how gracious God is here? And yet at the end of this first section, the people in response to that promise, they question it. And I think they say it almost sarcastically. They say, verse 7, but you ask, how are we to return to you? Remember the story of the, the people of Israel. They've just come back from exile, which again was a covenant curse on the people. They've come back from exile, from Babylon, to their land. They're back in the city. And you can almost imagine that when God says, return to me, they almost look around at each other and they think, how can we return to God? We've been returned. They might look at the temple and they say, how can we return to you, God, when we're at the heart of things? But you see, what God is after is not a physical return. He's after a heart return. 
a return of turning away from him. This covenant has been broken and therefore the relationship with God has been broken. And this is what is so important for us in understanding how this covenant applies to us today. You see, it's not just the people in Malachi's day who are covenant breakers. You and I share that same heart, that same desire to turn away from God. And therefore, quite frankly, we all deserve not God's blessing, but God's curse. As we see in Deuteronomy 28. And yet 400 years after Malachi was written, Jesus changes the whole way we relate to God. Galatians chapter 3 tells us that Christ takes the curse of the covenant in our place on the cross. He makes a way for us to return to God this evening. And that is the Bible's constant call to us. Constant call, return, 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 return to me. That is God's constant call. And you know, by knowing Jesus, entrusting in what he's done, do you know, we don't need to know the curse, but rather we can know God's blessing. This evening, God is gracious and he wants his people to return to him. But secondly, and finally this this evening, we see God is faithful. God is faithful. We've seen so far in Malachi, in so many different ways, in which God's people have broken the covenant. We've seen it in chapter one, half-hearted sacrifices. We saw it with the priests in leading the people astray. We saw it with the marriages and people being unfaithful to one another in their relationships. And tonight... Here in the second part of Malachi, we see it's demonstrated in the way that people are not giving all of their tithes to God. In effect, God says they're robbing, they're stealing. And tithes, again, are something that takes us and links us back to the covenant that we saw in Deuteronomy. Because tithes are so much more in the Old Testament than just the the weekly collection. They were the means by which the nation was looked after. It was the way in which the temple was cared for. It was the way in which foreigners who would be in the city could be cared for. It was the way that orphans and widows in the community could be looked after. And it was the way in which other nations all around them would be blessed because they would be able to lend and not have to borrow. Ties are massively linked to obeying the covenant. In fact, we see it just before Deuteronomy chapter 28. There is a whole section on tithes just before that chapter, Deuteronomy 26. And what we see tonight is the people are not doing a great job of keeping that part of the covenant. And therefore, verse 9, the nation is under a curse. They're covenant breakers. But God, he gives a promise, an incredible promise to his people. He says, look with me at verses 10 and 11. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. 
Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. That verse, it might be familiar. You might think we've read something like that before, and we have because it is the same phrase that we saw God uses in Deuteronomy 28. That imagery of opening the floodgates of heaven and pouring out blessing. It's the same phrase that we saw used back in Deuteronomy to describe the blessings of the covenant. In other words, what God is saying here to his people is he's asking his people to trust in his promises to them. To be confident that what God said, what God promised in his covenant way back then, he will do. He will be faithful to what he says. And he will do it in incredible ways. And he won't just bless them, but he'll also stop the covenant curses in verse 11 that we see continuing among them. Now, it's also important to note that these verses that we've just read out, they are often used by people who believe the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. Uh, to say, see, uh, this shows, doesn't it? God wants his people to be wealthy and healthy and prosperous today. Just test God and he'll prove it. But you see, that is a total misuse. And it's a misunderstanding of what this passage is pointing us to this evening. God does want his people to be blessed. He wants his people today to be blessed. But to be blessed not in the way the prosperity gospel would have us believe. You see, this passage is pointing us, remember, to the covenant And it points us, therefore, to the ultimate covenant keeper, the Lord Jesus, who fully obeyed this covenant in every single way you can imagine. And not just obeyed the covenant and kept the covenant, but also, as we've seen, took the covenant curse. Took the covenant curse on the cross. And he took the curse on the cross so that we tonight could know the blessing so that God really could open up the heavens, open up the floodgates and bless us with every spiritual blessing. You see, the blessing to you and to me this evening is not found in a bank account. It's not found on a postcode. It is found in a person. The blessing to us is found in the one who took our curse Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher, he said, if you could fly into heaven, our blessing would not be there. It is found in Christ. That is where the prosperity gospel gets it so wrong. They're looking for God's blessing in completely the wrong place. It's not a product, it's a person. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 explains, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We're under a new covenant, a covenant that Christ has brought in, that's in his blood that we remembered this morning. 
when we took communion. This is a covenant that has been kept by Christ, where the curse has been taken by Christ and where the blessing comes through Christ. And therefore, God calls his people to test him in this. That's what he says in verse 10 of our passage in Malachi, doesn't he? Test me in this. God calls his people to be confident in who he is, that he is the God of verse 6 who says, I, the Lord, do not change. To be confident that God will be faithful to all of his promises, that what what God promised, he will be faithful to. He says to them, see that I will be faithful. See it. See that I will be faithful. I'm sure many of us might have heard the story of a guy called Charles Blondin, who was a famous tightrope walker. And he crossed the Niagara Falls, I think, hundreds of times in his life. And there was one occasion where he was walking across the tightrope over Niagara Falls, and he was going over with a wheelbarrow and huge crowds of people came to see what he was doing and they were ooing and ahhing in in amazement at what he was doing and he did it a couple of times walking back and forth and one time he got to the other side and he saw the crowd standing there and he said to them who believes that I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow? And the crowd respond to Charles, and they say, of course you can. Of course we believe you can. And Charles, he turns back and he says to the people, he says, who wants to get into the wheelbarrow? And everyone, as you can imagine, remained very quiet. You see, it's one thing to be confident in who God is. It's one thing to be confident that he will be faithful to his promises, but it's another thing to live that out. You see, in Malachi, the people were called to step out, to give before they could see what God would do. And God calls us this evening to be confident. Confident not in our circumstances, not in our situations, not in our resources, but confident in our God. Confident in his promises, in his words, to us. Do you know, I love the Apostle Paul. We, we spent time this morning, didn't we, reading one of his letters, Romans. But Paul, if you look through his life and you read of it, a lot of it's in Acts, you'll see that man went through trial after trial after trial, suffering after suffering after suffering. And yet, as we read his letters in the New Testament, we see that he testifies over and over again to the faithfulness of God to him. He testifies that God's grace in his life is sufficient in all circumstances. He testifies and he says to us, I have seen that God is faithful. He was someone who trusted and who lived out what it means to see that God is faithful. That God will be faithful at every single turn in our lives, at every unknown, in every circumstance that you and I face this week, this year, God will be faithful. Paul knew that. 
You know, when I, I speak to my grandparents, I love dearly, and I'm fortunate uh, to have them both and, and to speak with them and to hear their testimony. And every time I speak to them, they look back at their lives and, and the things that they've gone through, and the, the testimony they share is, is, is the same. It's always the same. They say, Daniel, God has been faithful. They look back at everything that they've gone through and they can say they have seen that God is faithful. At every point, whether they, in life, whether they knew it or they knew God's presence or they didn't, they saw, looking back, God is faithful. And what's incredible is they look into the future and they say, God will still be faithful. And as we head into a new week, you know, it might be that we are nervous. <laughs> we're nervous even listening to this. We maybe not even listen to half the talk because we're so nervous about something that's coming up this week. And we wonder how we're going to get through maybe. We're filled with anxiety. Or do you know, see that God is faithful. See that God is faithful. His grace, like Paul, will be sufficient in every single circumstances. If we're looking ahead this week and we're thinking that we may be unequipped, we feel inadequate to serve God, maybe in the things that he's called us to, in the places that he's put us, uh, to respond to people and their questions that they bring to us, we'll know and see that God is faithful to equip us with everything that we need for every single one of his good works that he's prepared for us. God will be faithful. See, God will be faithful to the day of our death. God will be faithful to us. And even still, God will be faithful to his promise in Christ to us to bring us to eternal life. There is no end to God's faithfulness. And so this evening, let's be confident. Let's live like we're confident. Because our world and our culture at the moment is void of all confidence. There's nothing in life that seems we can truly depend on, that we can be confident in, that seems faithful and unchanging. But the Bible says there is one thing, there is one person that we can be completely confident in. Who will be ever faithful to his promises to us. The one who says, I, the Lord, do not change. Not yesterday, not today, not ever. And so this evening, we really can step out in faith, in confidence tonight. Because of who our God is. Because of his promises to us in Christ. And the way that he has blessed us with his presence with us. With a relationship with him and with life to come. We can be confident even in the unknown and the uncertain. See that God is faithful. And when we know that, we can live in that confidence in who our God is. And we can step out and trust him and see him do incredible things.